Let us pray. Lord Jesus, take the little that we have and make it the plenty that the world needs. Amen. Today's gospel begins with a broken heart and emptiness and ends with broken bread and hearts that are full. But to understand that, you need to know what happens before today's gospel from the 14th chapter of Matthew. Before we have that great story of the feeding of the 5,000, we have the traumatic story of the murder of John the Baptist by Herod, the ruler of Galilee. Herod had arrested John for criticizing him for getting divorced so that he could marry his brother's wife. And then on a whim, he had John beheaded at the request of his new wife, the end of Herod's own birthday party. That story ends with this sentence. His disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. And that is where today's gospel begins. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. Now just consider for a moment what that boat ride was like for Jesus. I imagine that he was scared and horrified and grieving and just done. And so he sought out a deserted place where he could be alone with his Abba and grieve and grieve. Recall that when Jesus went to the wilderness just after he was baptized by John, and that now he's headed out again to a deserted place to be alone. But I think his Abba has other plans. Certainly the crowd does. Because the crowd has heard where Jesus is going and they head out after him because they want what Jesus has. They want healing and feeding and they want the word of God that Jesus brings them. They are hungry and thirsty and they are coming to the water and lining up for the meal just like Isaiah told them to in today's first reading. They come out from the villages and they gather on the shore just as Jesus arrives in his boat. They fill the beach, 5,000 families. What must Jesus be feeling as he sees this throng waiting for him at what he thought was a deserted place? I know what I'd be feeling. If it were me, I'd turn that boat right there and I'd find a more deserted place. But Jesus looks at that crowd and he feels compassion. Their suffering cuts right through his own. I wonder if they remind him of the crowd that had come out to see John on the banks of the Jordan when all of Israel went to be baptized by him, Jesus among them. John, who said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John, who dwelt in deserted places and spoke truth to power and got himself killed. I wonder if that's partly why Jesus got out of that boat and started healing the people on the shore because of John. Now when the 12 caught up with him that evening, he'd been at it all day. I wonder if by then his disciples were also done. 
Some of them had been John's followers originally. They too were grieving and shocked and exhausted. I imagine they too wanted to be alone with Jesus. Send the crowd back to where they came from to find something to eat, they suggested. Maybe they were being practical. Maybe they were being selfish. I could see myself making that very suggestion for both those reasons. And here's my favorite part of the story. Jesus says to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they answer honestly, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. We do not have enough. And this is what this story is about for me. That moment when you face the surprise guests and the unanticipated expectation, the impossible last minute request, the 5,000 families on the shore and what you have isn't enough. Do you know that feeling? Can you find it in the pit of your stomach? Because lately I've had that feeling every single day. This is too much. Whatever you're asking of me, God, I don't have it. I don't have enough. In these miraculous feeding stories, it's tempting to go straight to the cinematic moment of the amazing cascade of bread and fish that plays out like a combination of manna in the desert and the Last Supper. But let's slow it down a bit. Let's pause at that moment when there is clearly not enough. What does Jesus do? Jesus takes those loaves and those fishes and he hands them to God. And then he gives them back to his disciples and they use them to feed the crowd. Somewhere in that silent prayer, in that blessing and breaking, feeding all those people is no longer Jesus's lone responsibility or the disciples' lone responsibility. It is God's responsibility. And God responds by expanding the gift and strengthening the giver. The disciples distribute what is given back to them, and then they clean up the leftovers. This is how Jesus does it. In the Gospels, Jesus always arrives with everything he has and sometimes that doesn't look like very much. Other people feed him and clothe him and house him. He didn't even have the bread and fish to offer the crowds until his followers arrived. On the one hand, he seems to arrive empty. And on the other hand, he always offers everything. Perhaps this is why in the depths of his own loss, he can attend to person after person on the beach. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus will insist over and over that any power he has, any wonder he works or word he proclaims comes from his father. And his disciples will be expected to do the same. Now, this is a particular comfort to me and something I need to remember every single day of these complex and demanding times. Even when I bring everything I have, I will never arrive with enough, and I'm not expected to. That doesn't mean that I'm to hold back and reserve a nice portion for my own lunch before offering the rest for the divine banquet. But it does mean 
that I keep my gifts and my role and my readiness in particular perspective. I understand that Pope John the 23rd's nightly prayer went something like this. It's your church, Lord. I'm going to bed. Often my prayer sounds a bit like, oh God, I can't believe you got me into this. So take what I have and please, please bring your grace and take over from here. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples to be able to do, to let go of their own limitations long enough to allow God to take over. And that is so hard. It would take the power of the Holy Spirit to get them out of the upper room after Jesus died and rose and appeared to them and ascended to heaven. But this is the small print of our great commission, the disciples, and by translation, us as church. We do not get to be the crowd on the beach waiting for the heavenly banquet to be served, nor are we the ones who throw the party. We are the wait staff. Oh, we're hungry and mourning and needing healing, just like everybody else in the crowd. But our job is to start serving up whatever Jesus hands us from the Father after we give him everything we've brought. And then we eat the leftovers. That's our side of the covenant we've made to God. We serve at the divine banquet. We make ourselves entirely available to the healing, transforming, world-remaking, just and merciful power of God. Now, when I try to think of somebody who embodies that for us, who exemplified that for us, I think of John Lewis, that great, nonviolent freedom fighter and congressman who was laid to rest this week. Like Jesus, despite his losses and his pain, he would never turn his boat away from a crowded shore. He poured everything he had and was into God's dream of the beloved community, knowing that even all that he did was not enough, that others must bring their gifts to the table as well. As President Obama said in his eulogy of Lewis this week, John Lewis taught us where real courage comes from. He said, quote, not from turning on each other, but by turning towards one another, not by sowing hatred and division, but by spreading love and truth, not by avoiding our responsibilities to create a better America or a better world, but by embracing those responsibilities with joy and perseverance and discovering that in our beloved community, we do not walk alone. In Lewis's own words, which he arranged to have published on the day of his funeral, you can almost hear Jesus explaining to his disciples why he has asked them not to send that hungry, hurting crowd away empty. Though I may not be here with you, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. In my life, I have done all I can to demonstrate that the way of peace, the way of love and nonviolence is the more excellent way. Now, 
It is your turn to let freedom ring. Amen. <laughs>